Welcome to Search the Scriptures. It's great to be back with all of our listeners again today. We're so thankful to have this opportunity, and it's a blessing that we do not take for granted. We know that God has opened the door and blessed us at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ with the opportunity to spread the gospel through the medium of radio. And we're so thankful to all of those who have made possible our being on the air on this station and on this program on such a regular basis. And we appreciate hearing from our listeners so much. You are so encouraging to us. We hear from many of you from time to time, letting us know that you appreciate the scriptural teaching that we try to present on a regular and consistent basis here on Search the Scriptures. The name of our program suggests exactly what we strive to do and accomplish every program, and that is get into God's Word, get into the Bible, help you understand what the Scriptures really say, and help you realize that it's not an enigma, it's not a great puzzle, it's not something that's written in code that you cannot understand or maybe barely conceive, but rather God has communicated his will for us in a straightforward fashion. And it is easy to understand, generally speaking, with very few exceptions, and it makes sense for your daily life. We want to help you come closer to God. In fact, we want to help you get to heaven. We really do. The best way that we can do that is to teach you the scriptures as fully and as in-depth a manner and as accurately as we can. As you come to understand God's word better, then your faith should be developing, or if you already have faith in God, it should be growing deeper and stronger. Because the Bible's formula for the development of faith is found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or in other words, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So as you learn God's word better, your faith in God should be growing stronger and deeper fuller. And as your faith grows, then you should be wanting to come closer to God. In fact, you should be wanting to come to him all the way, his way, through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior and his Son, whom God sent into this world and ultimately to the cross to die so that he could pay the price for the guilt of your sins, so that you could be forgiven and redeemed as you are baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And as you come up out of that grave of water that we call baptism, you're reborn, as Jesus told Nicodemus has to happen in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. As the apostle Paul put it, you have become a new creation spiritually in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And so, you see, it's a tremendous transition that you're taking from being lost in sin to be forgiven of your sins, to be from being outside of Christ to coming into Christ as you're baptized into him, Galatians 3 and verse 27 and Romans 6 and verse 3, having been alienated from God to having been reconciled to God. And so now you're living as you begin that new life in Christ. You're living a new life with a new direction, with a new hope, and that is eternal life with God in heaven. Our prayers are with you, and our prayers are for you, and we do indeed pray for you.
At the end of the program today, as we always do, we'll give you information by which you can contact us, and you can ask for a free Bible study that will help you see right from the Scriptures in the privacy of your own home as you open up the Bible for yourself and read those verses. It will help you see God's plan for your forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. The study that we offer on every program is always free. In fact, we'll take care of the postage. All you have to do is ask for it. We'll also give you the opportunity to ask for a a free copy on CD of today's program. And again, we'll take care of the postage. We never charge anybody to study God's Word. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready, and we'll give you all of that information in just a little while. We're going to get back into our study that we began last time, entitled, What Does Christian Only Mean? What does Christian only mean? I'm not sure that a whole lot of people have actually given much, if any, thought to that particular concept. What does Christian only mean? Followers of Christ were called Christians first in Antioch, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. The only other time that we find the word used in the book of Acts to describe the followers of Christ is found in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, when the Apostle Paul was presenting his defense before King Agrippa and the Roman official at the same time. And Agrippa said at that particular point, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. The only other time it is used in the entire New Testament was by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. And Peter talked about suffering as a Christian. Well, those are the only three times that, it is, that, that the word Christian is used as a term of identity for the followers of Christ. Now, as we pointed out in our introductory lesson to this particular study, it's possible that when that term was first used, it was not a term that was being used by Christians themselves, but rather it could have been that it was a term that was used in an insulting kind of way by enemies of the church, calling the followers of Christ, Christians, which means Christ ones, you Christians. Oh, you're a Christian, huh? Well, by the beginning of the second century, the term of identity had been embraced by followers of Christ as a de- an identifying description that is honorable and that truly identifies them as being disciples or followers of Christ. In John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prayed for all of his followers, or those who would call themselves Christians, to be absolutely united in belief, in teaching, and in practice, in purpose. He prayed, he used his relationship with the Heavenly Father as the standard or the model. As he prayed to the Father, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they all may be one in us. 
that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, a little bit of addition there and, and kind of paraphrase right at the end of that particular parish, uh, passage, but that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed that his followers, those who would call themselves Christians, would be as absolutely, totally united in their belief, in their practice, and in their purpose and teaching as the Father and the Son are completely and absolutely united. There's no difference of opinion between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They are totally, absolutely united. And again, there's not a difference between what God teaches in his word from what Jesus teaches in his word. They're absolutely the same. They're in harmony with one another, and they are supportive and complementary to one another. So again, Jesus prayed that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that the world, or that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So as we followers of Christ, if we will be united as absolutely as God the Father and God the Son are united, then that will be a powerful, powerful demonstration of Christianity to the non-Christian world, which covers a huge, huge percentage of the world's population. Now, we should take pride as followers of Christ in calling ourselves by the simple name Christian. But instead, most people who would call themselves Christians or who would think of themselves as Christians, if you ask them, well, wh what are you religiously? They would first give the name of their denomination. Now, there might be a few exceptions, but they would be a few exceptions. Most everybody would give you the name of their denomination rather than saying, they're Christians. That's unfortunate. And that demonstrates the divisiveness and the division that is at the heart of denominationalism. The word denomination or denominationalism conveys the idea of division. We talk about our money, our currency, and we say, we have various denominations into which it is divided. We have $1 bills, and two, uh, $5 bills, $10 bills, $20 bills, $50 bills, $100 bills. The church should not be so divided. Those who call themselves Christians should not be so divided. So we need to understand the principle of being just Christians and we need to embrace that identity and forget about and do away with the whole concept of denominationalism. Now to do so means we have to come together and be united in Christ. What does Christian only mean? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. 
And I think these are very good points of understanding what Christian only has to mean. Not just what it could mean, but what it has to mean. First, it means accepting Christ on his terms. He is the Savior. He is the only Savior of mankind. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus unflinchingly and without any embarrassment or hedging or beating around the bush, identified himself as the only way to God, the only Savior of mankind. Peter stated in Acts chapter two and uh, chapter four and verse twelve, "Nor is there salvation in any other." For there is is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he was referring to the name of Christ. He is the only Savior. Now someone might raise the question, well, what about all of the people in other parts of the world or in some parts of the world who do not believe that Jesus is the only Savior? If you believe Jesus then they're believing wrong. They're believing wrongly in not believing in Jesus as their only Savior. If you believe the Bible to be the true word of God, then all who would say they do not believe that Jesus is their Savior are believing wrongly. They are in error. Jesus stated he is the only way to God. Jesus stated that himself. Peter, an inspired apostle, stated that there is salvation in no other and that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, only through the name of Christ. Initially, we need to believe that Jesus is our Savior and we need to accept him on his terms when it comes to our salvation. Or some people would say, our conversion to Christ. When Jesus issued the great invitation, it was not to come to something, but it was to come to him personally. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Jesus sent Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus, who would later become a Christian and ultimately an apostle of Jesus Christ. Ananias came to Saul and he said, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, that we are baptized into Christ as our Savior. He said, do you not know that as many of us as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Into Christ. When he wrote the Galatian congregations, he said, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ 
have put on Christ. So it is at baptism that we come into fellowship with Christ. When we come into him as we're baptized for the remission of our sins, as Jesus told Ananias to go teach Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias did exactly that. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, the name of Christ. So we must come to him on his terms as we come to salvation through him. He issued the great invitation. And he is the only Savior. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, in fact, I say therefore unto you, or I said unto you, that you shall die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Again, unequivocal. No question. Straightforward. No mincing of words. No way to misunderstand logically. Jesus said in John John chapter 12 in verse 48, he who does not receive me, he who does not follow by my teachings, does not accept my word, has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So Jesus says there, you have the opportunity to believe or disbelieve. You have the opportunity to accept my teachings or reject my teachings. But ultimately, in the final day of judgment, you will be judged by the very teachings that you have rejected if you reject my teachings. They will be the standard for your being judged. We must repent of our sins, Jesus said. In John, uh, rather Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, as he began to preach, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Peter and the other apostles were teaching the gospel after the church was established in Jerusalem on Pentecost and thereafter, they taught the, necessi- the necessity of repentance. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter said, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So as we come to Christ, we have to come to Christ recognizing that we are sinners in need of forgiveness and we need to come with a mindset, a readiness to repent of our sins. Jesus said also that we must confess our faith in him openly. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 and 33, he said, Whoever shall confess me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And Mark recorded the sense, I think, of what Jesus was getting across in emphasizing that we must openly confess our faith in him in Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, where Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And that's pointing 
toward the day of judgment. So Jesus said, you need to openly embrace me. You need to be my follower openly. You need to be a Christian. The literal meaning of the word being Christ one. And then again, as we've noted, it is through baptism that we come into fellowship with Christ as we are forgiven of our sins. We come to salvation at that point. Jesus said so in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. And when Jesus gave this great commission, marching orders to the apostles and subsequently to all of his followers, as Matthew recorded it in Matthew 20, uh, 28, verses 19 and 20, he penned Jesus' words as follows. Go therefore and make disciples or followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. Amen. So this is how we come to Jesus. We must believe in him with all of our heart. We must openly and readily and without any reservation recognize and accept him as our only Savior and as the only Savior of all mankind. And as we recognize that, we must come to him with a willingness to repent of our sins and to openly confess him or own him as our Savior and to surrender to him his way through baptism for the remission of our sins and raise up out of that grave of water that we call baptism, reborn spiritually, made new to walk a new life in him, in fellowship with him, and with him at the same time. How blessed we are to be able to have the opportunity to call ourselves just Christians, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. We'll continue our study next time. Be sure to write down the information we'll give you in just a moment, and then contact us and ask for that free Bible study. And ask for today's program on CD for free. We'll take care of the postage in both cases. We hope to hear from you right away.